Matthew 27, 15 through 22. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for, to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Good morning, church. So we are currently in our sermon series that we're calling What We Believe About God. And uh, last week, we started to look into the second person in the Godhead, the Trinity, which is who is God the Son. And we call him Jesus Christ. Last week as well, we asked one of the two most important questions that we could ask about God the Son. And that question is this. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Last week, Miles preached a beautiful sermon that answered that question. And he gave us three possible answers to that question. Who is Jesus? Jesus could either be, could be one of these three. He could be a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Well, first, he could have been a madman, mentally deranged individual who thought that he was God, but really he's just a regular human being who was also a carpenter. That's the first option. The second option is that Jesus could have been a liar who gravely and intentionally misrepresented himself and started telling people that, you know, he was, he was God. But really he's not. And he's just lying. And he's orchestrating this elaborate scam that has been going on for thousands of years. And he's still doing it today if he was a liar. But we know that he is neither of those two things. He's not a madman or he's not a liar. We know that he is Lord. And the reason we know that is because for somebody who said the things that he said with power and authority, we, nobody could have, could have assumed or, or thought that such a one as Jesus Christ could be a mentally deranged individual. And also, for someone who did the things that he did, Jesus selflessly gave of himself, and he willingly died for people. Nobody could have thought of him as somebody who was an intentionally self-serving liar. We know that Jesus is Lord. We understand that that is who he is. And because of that, this is what the apostles preached. This is the good news that they preached to everybody. 
And this is what we preach to, to everybody today. Day after day, according to Acts 5 verse 42, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching, they being the disciples, and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That word Messiah is the Hebrew word for the Greek word Christ, which means the anointed one. That good news today translates to Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. That's why we call him King Jesus. That is the good news. We have a king in this universe and in our own lives. That's Jesus. Now, what we're going to do this morning is very simple. We are going to ask the second most important question that arises from the answer to the first question, who is Jesus? Now that we know and understand and accept that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is Christ, that he is King, the question that we are now left to answer is this, and this is what we're going to talk about today. What will you do with Jesus the King? This morning, we're going to look at five possible answers to this question. Five things that we could do with Jesus. And what I would like us to do is what I would like for, for us to really ap- appreciate is the five, is, is, is answer number five that we're going to talk about today, which leads us to really receive Jesus as Lord of our lives. So the first thing that we can do with Jesus <clears throat> is to refuse him. Many people refuse Jesus. Many people do not want anything to do with him. They don't want any relationship with him. Many people want to avoid making that decision about Jesus. And one of those individuals we see in scripture is Pontius Pilate. And we see him in our scripture reading this morning. Jesus was arrested by the the Jewish leaders in the Garden of Gethsemane. They wanted to put him to death for many reasons. And the thing is, they could not do it themselves because they were not in charge of Israel any longer. Okay, The people who were in charge of Israel at the time were the Romans because they have occupied pretty much the known world at the time. They were in charge. So the Jewish leaders had to hand Jesus over to the Judean governor. And his name was Pontius Pilate. He had the right, he had the the authority to sentence Jesus to death. Okay? And that question, what will you do with Jesus, was asked by Pilate. Okay? What then shall I do? With this Jesus the Christ. But we see in that story. As it unfolds in scripture. That Pontius Pilate. Refused. To allow Jesus. To have an impact on his life. Okay. So he starts questioning Jesus. In Matthew 27 11, And we read. Meanwhile Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him. Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, 
we understand that when Jesus says, yeah, that's, I am who you say I am, you have said so yourself, he's not being sarcastic, he's being truthful. Okay? But we understand as well in the Gospel of Luke, in his account of uh, his judgment in front of Pilate, that Pilate actually wanted to ship him off to Herod because he didn't want to make a judgment concerning him. Okay? And we see that in Luke chapter 23, verses 6 to 7. On hearing this, that Pilate, that, that Jesus was a Galilean, right? When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod because Herod was the governor of Galilee and Jesus was Galilean. But it just so happened that Herod was also in Jerusalem at that time because it was, they were preparing for the, for the Passover, which was a really big uh, feast at the time in, in, in Israel, in Jerusalem specifically. They were all there. But the story unfolds in Luke 23 that when Herod asks Jesus all these questions, right? He was, he was trying him. Jesus did not say a word to Herod. So Herod was forced to ship Jesus back to Pontius Pilate. Okay? And then now, this is what transpires when Jesus goes back to uh, the judgment seat in front of Pontius Pilate. Matthew 27, 12 to 14. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, Jesus gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they're bringing against you? But Jesus again made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, when we read here that the governor, Pilate, was greatly amazed at Jesus, the language suggests that Pilate had a positive impression of Jesus. That inside, Pilate realizes that Jesus was full of dignity and he was innocent. That's why he says in Luke 23, 4, Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Pilate himself, the Roman official, realizes this is, this is all frivolous. They were just here. The, the Jewish leaders are bringing Jesus to him. Because of self-interest. And we see that in, in, in the account. So he says, this person is innocent. And so we see here that um, G, uh, Herod is saying, I, I can't charge this man. And so what happens next? In Matthew 27, verse 17, Herod relied on this tradition that happens during Passover in Jerusalem that the governor would free up one of the people who were supposed to be crucified, right? One of the criminals, they would free up. Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Okay, so Barabbas, in today's terms, Barabbas would be uh, referred to as a terrorist who is also a murderer. So he, uh, uh, Pilate asks the crowd, who do you want me to release to you? The murderer or the Messiah? And we know the answer to that question. We know who they chose. They chose to free the murderer. Okay? So now, Pilate wanted to really refuse the impact of Jesus Christ on his life. He wanted to avoid it. He sent him off to Herod. Didn't work. Now he wanted the crowd 
to free Jesus instead of, you know, this, this surefire criminal that they, they definitely would like to crucify, but it didn't work. They still wanted Jesus to be crucified. So now Herod is left with one last thing under his sleeve. Do you guys remember what he did to refuse Jesus Christ? He washed his hands off of Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew 27, verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. Can you imagine that scene? He was this judge, this governor. And if you look at the history books, this is not like him. Like he is a hard tyrant of a Roman official. Imagine him taking a basin of water and washing his hands in front of people saying, this is not me who's doing it. It's you who's doing it. And the answer, like uh, in, in, in an account, it's not, I'm, I, I'm, it's not on the screen here, but the, in the account, the Jewish crowd said, his blood would be on our hands and on our children's hands. And so that happened. Now, many people resist Jesus like Pontius Pilate did. And the question for us today is that. Do we refuse Jesus today? Are any of you in that state of mind where, where um, we are indifferent, just like Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate wanted to wash his hands clean and tell people that he was innocent. But in reality, he was not innocent. He was indifferent. He didn't want to act on Jesus. He refused it. It is the same thing for us today. We could be indifferent. The online uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary defines indifference as a lack of interest or concern. If we're not interested in Jesus, if we're not concerned about Jesus' message and impact on our lives... We are simply refusing him. We are simply telling him, you know, giving him the hand, stop. You are not allowed here. Maybe there's reasons. Maybe the reasons that we resist the power and grace of Jesus Christ in our lives is because we know that when we do receive Jesus, then we would have to make a change then we would have to unseat ourselves from the throne in our hearts as we say, self or J or you, you are no longer in charge. But the king of the world is in charge. Jesus the Christ is in charge. And so he is now Lord over our lives. Maybe that is who you are today. And if it is, I want, I, I want you to, I encourage you to rethink. Okay? Wait for number five. And I want us to really focus on having that positive answer to that question. What will you do with Jesus? The next thing that we can do with Jesus is to resist him. Now, resisting is different from just passively refusing Jesus in that resisting, you're actually actively opposing Jesus or fighting against Jesus. And 
we see this happen to Jesus in the persons of the Jewish leaders. For the most part, the Pharisees. We see that in Scripture. And uh, there's so many reasons why the Pharisees resisted Jesus. Okay? And some of the reasons I'm gonna, we're, we're going to talk about today, and there's two of them that I want to talk to you about. But before we do that, I just want to say that most people today in the world resist Jesus. And we know this because Jesus says in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, he's talking to his disciples, know that it has hated me, Jesus, before it hated you, which is us. People resist Jesus. And many times people would say, you know what? I actually just refuse him. I don't resist, resist him. But really deep inside, there's this mechanism that we employ because we know, just like Herod, we can't just not do anything about Jesus. It is the question that every single person on earth has to answer. What will you do with Jesus? We need to answer that question. We can refuse to answer that question, but it's still there. But when we refuse to answer that question, really, we're resisting him. That is really the long and short of it. And that resistance translates to hate. Because there's no middle ground with Jesus. We're going to find that out later on, that there's no neutral place when it comes to our response to what we are going to do with Jesus. Now, the Pharisees. Matthew twelve fourteen. This is how much they hated Jesus. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. That's extreme, we understand. But that resistance literally could lead to that. Today, we can't, we can't kill Jesus anymore today. Physically, at least. But we can resist him to the point that really, we might as well would have killed him. So, going back to the Pharisees, in John 11, verse 47, we understand their intentions. And the one reason why they really wanted to kill Jesus was because it was disturbing their way of life. It was disturbing their comfort zone. They're afraid that he would be, that they were going to be obsolete. So they talked amongst themselves and they said, what are we accomplishing? They asked. This is the Jewish leaders, the members of the Sanhedrin, the council, the, the leadership council. Here is this man performing many signs. Do you guys see that? They understand that these signs point to who Jesus is. Christ, Messiah. Even though they did not believe him and his claims when he said it, they could see clearly that he was the Messiah because he was doing all these, these signs, these amazing signs that nobody could ever do but God. And then they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. If we let him go on like this, everybody would go to him and now the Jewish religion would be obsolete. And if we become obsolete, our leadership will become obsolete and the Romans will come. They will take away our temple and they will take away our nation because Christianity would tamp out Judaism. And they would not have any of that because they want that seat. They want that leadership. They want that status as leaders of the nation of Israel. It's interesting that they knew about the signs because Jesus Christ said in John 10, 25, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name 
they bear witness of me. You might not believe me when I said it, but when I do my works, I'm pretty sure you will, you will find yourselves scratching your head in disbelief because my works bear witness of me. I don't have to say it. I just need to show it to you. It's like, it's interesting because at first, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders resisted Jesus because they did not believe that he was the Messiah. But then there's a point in their life, and we see it in Scripture, that they resisted Jesus because they believed that he was the Messiah. Did you guys see that? Did you see the, 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 the transition there? They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was Christ, that he was king. And so they hated him the more. They could not deny it anymore. So they had to do something about it. Jesus said that I and the Father are one. Literally saying that he is God. We saw that the last time that I stood here and talked to you about the Trinity. But the second reason why the Pharisees wanted to kill him was not because, but was because they did not want to acknowledge his deity, his authority. That he did not want to, they did not want to acknowledge that Jesus is God. So when he, after he said this, the Jewish leaders picked up stones literally and threw it at them, uh, threw them at him. They stoned Jesus. And while they were stoning Jesus, Jesus replied to them and said, I have shown you many great works from my father. Okay? What, what, what of these works that you stoned me for? And this is what they responded. They said, we are not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Right? They believed that he was a madman or a liar. But in reality, Jesus was neither of those two things. He was Lord. And he continues to be Lord today. Now, the question for us today is, with regard to the second question is, do we resist Jesus today? Are we like the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders who resisted Jesus because it did not go well with their way of life. They did not want to disturb their comfort zone. Or do we resist Jesus today because we do not want to receive him as Lord of our lives? Because we want to be in charge. Because maybe we have sins in our lives that we want to keep. We want to nurture it. And with Jesus there, he would look at our, he would look at our lives and go, well, you want me to be Lord over your life, but you have that stuff that you're doing and you can't do that if I'm Lord of your life. And so we understand that. And so we resist him. Just like the Jewish leaders in our minds and in our hearts, we kill Jesus. We stamp him out. And if that is you today, I encourage you to rethink. I encourage you to not do that with Jesus. As you answer that question, what will you do with Jesus, our King?
Now, the third thing that people could do, that we could do with Jesus, is to ridicule him. You know, some people would say, you know what? Jesus is a joke. He's not worth my refusal or my resistance. I don't need to resist him. I don't need to refuse him because he is a joke. We mock Jesus. And you know, that happened to Jesus as we read in in the Bible. Many people mocked Jesus when he was alive on earth. We can start with the Roman soldiers. This is what they did to to, to Jesus as they mocked him and ridiculed him. Matthew 27, 28 to 30, they, being the soldiers, stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it in his head. Because they were mocking him and making fun of him. You're the king, right? Here's a crown and here's a robe. They put a staff in his right hand, just like a king. Then they knelt in front of him. You know, hail, king. But they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. And this, every time I see this, I get emotional because I think about it. How, how can they do this to Jesus, the king of the universe, the creator for whom and by whom everything is made? They spit on him. I can't even think of spitting at an individual, at a human being. They spat on Jesus. And look what else they did. They took the staff and struck him on the head, not once, again and again. Jesus bore that shame. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. But you're probably saying, well, we're not soldiers. And Jesus is not here with us today to like mock him and beat him and spit on him. But you know what? Many people were not soldiers at the time. Many of them are just bystanders. They're just looking in and shouting insults at Jesus. And that's what they did. Look at these. Look at this one. Bystanders. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are this God, this this king, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. Snap your fingers and free yourself from this suffering. But he didn't do it. Because we know now, but they didn't know back then, that that death is for all of us. It's for the same people who were mocking him and who were, make, who were, who were insulting him. And the Jewish leaders did the same thing. Matthew 27, 41 to 43. In the same way, the chief priests... The teachers of the law and elders mocked him. The people who wanted to kill him, right? He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. All the insult, all the mockery, all all the ridicule, he suffered even as he died on the cross. Now, how about us today? Is this you? 
Do you ridicule or mock Jesus in your heart? Is that what you are doing to Jesus today because you think that he is a joke? That his claims can never be real? That this book that we call our authority in everything that we do in faith and practice is also a joke because it's just a book that parents read to their kids before they go to bed. And if this is us today, I encourage all of us to to rethink Because Jesus is not a joke. He is the one who can save us from everything that we are suffering from in our life today. But many people do not refuse, resist, or ridicule Jesus. In fact, many people want to accept him. But in their acceptance of Jesus, they do not see Jesus as really the king. They see him as somebody who can just serve their needs in this life. They see Jesus, they see faith as like a solution to their problems, and that's it. They think that they are in a relationship with Jesus, but really they are in there for selfish reasons. And the fourth thing that we can do with Jesus is that. We don't refuse him, we don't resist him, We don't ridicule him, but we have a relationship of convenience with him. We are only here really for ourselves. That happened to Jesus as we read in in the Bible. Do you guys remember when Jesus was feeding the 5,000? Do you guys remember that? He was feeding the 5,000. He was in this place and there's all this, this multitude came to him. And he was getting late and he thought, you know what? These people are hungry and they have a far way to walk home. So he uh, asked his disciples to bring him whatever. And out of five loaves of uh, of bread and two fish, he fed 5,000 men at that time. But then people were like looking for him. You know, everybody dissipated. They went home. Jesus left that, the place. But they could not shake off that idea that there's this guy who could feed him. This person could feed me just like that. So they wanted to follow him. That's the reason why they wanted to follow him. That's the reason why they were looking for him. Frantically, they looked for him everywhere. And then... And then they found him, right? They found him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, listen to this, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, just like the Pharisees, right? They saw the signs, they knew that he was the Messiah. Not because you think that I'm the Messiah, but because, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You are in a relationship with me because of your own need for convenience. Now, this is harsh. And you know what I'm going to do is we're going to relate it to ourselves now, right? That's what we did, we did for the, with the first three. Is this us today? Are we here? 
out of our own selfish reasons. Are we here because we just want to keep up appearances? Are we here because deep inside we're thinking, if I'm not here today, then I might not, my business might do poorly. Or I might do really badly in my exam next week. Because if that's the case, then we need to rethink that. Because we don't want to be in a relationship of convenience with Jesus. We want to be in a partnership with Him. Where He is our Lord and King. And we humbly give everything to Him, come what may. Regardless of what happens to us in this life. And finally... Number five, and this is what I want us to focus on. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. We're almost done here because in April, we are going to focus on this response that we need to have with Jesus as our king. We're going to talk about our role in our relationship with Jesus. What we need to do with Jesus is this. We need to receive him. As our Lord and as our Savior. You probably asked the question, where well, we do that now? We're all here, aren't we? But I need, I need us to dig deep. What does it mean that Jesus is my Lord, your Lord? It doesn't just mean that you come to church on Sundays. It doesn't mean just to consume the services of the church. To be a consumer. Because if we're a consumer, it's easy for us to go, you know, we're driving back home today and you go, oh, that sermon today, that was not good. The singing today, that was junk. It's easy to be critical when we're a consumer. But when we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're going to come here knowing that we are the actors. We are not the audience when we come here. In our relationship with Jesus, we are not the audience. We are the worshipers. We are the servants. We are the ones who use our hearts, our hands, our heads, and our feet to glorify Him and to serve Him. We don't just sit down here, you know, heads back, tilted. Oh, let us see what Jay has for me today. We are here. To render worship to Jesus. When we say that he is our Lord and Savior. It means literally. That we forget everything else. And we give Jesus our total allegiance. Our total obedience. And we give him. And we make him priority over everything that we do. And we know this because he said so in scripture. Remember when. Some, some, some guy asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the best commandment in this whole entire Bible? You know, remember what he said? He said in, in, I believe it's in Mark 12, 28 to 30. He said, the greatest commandment is this. He said, this is the greatest commandment. This is what you need to do. Okay. Hero Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is what he said. He just really literally quoted Deuteronomy 6. He said, love the Lord your God with everything that you are, 
with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything that you are. He didn't say, love the Lord your God with, like, you know, just, just a little bit of your heart. Heart, soul, mind, and body, and strength. And then he said, I believe this is in, this is in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10, I believe in verse 37. He said, whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There is no middle ground with Jesus. There is no lukewarmness with Jesus. There is no, well, I'm going to straddle the fence with Jesus. On Sundays, I will be with him. But on Monday through maybe Thursday, maybe Friday, I'm going to be in the world. There's no such thing. You can't do that. Because when we do... Really, we are not with Christ. And that, this is, we don't, we don't want to, ref, we, we, we don't want to refuse him. We, we want to, we don't want to refuse him. We don't want to resist him. We don't want to ridicule him. We don't want to just abuse him and use him. We want to receive him because, and this is the last verse that I'm going to talk to you about today, is what Jesus said. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. We can't just have a mental assent on who Jesus is as Lord. We can't just say, yeah, I agree, Jesus is Lord. But then we don't do anything about it. We are actually against him when we do that. So this morning, I want to encourage all of us if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, go all in. Don't meddle in the middle. There's no neutral ground. Let us give our lives over to Jesus. And maybe we can rededicate our lives to Jesus today. And now you have the opportunity if you have not been to Christ, if you have not received Him as your Lord and Savior in the waters of baptism, I encourage you to come today. I will be right here, standing there, waiting for you during the song. And this song is called, What Will You Do With Jesus? Let's stand and sing.